Well, friends, as I opened worship saying this morning, I am thankful and, and a bit surprised that we were able to hold Saturday night drive last night and, and hold it successfully in spite of the tropical weather that we've been experiencing. It, it was a rather, rather gloomy outlook. In fact, our team chair, Kim White, on Friday afternoon, out of the blue, uh, sent me a, a text. And, and in it, she said, seriously, a tropical storm warning has just been issued for us tomorrow? Popped up out of nowhere. And as I exchanged some texts with another one of our members, they simply said, it's 2020. What can we expect? But honestly, I'm not sure that it could have worked out much better than it did. The rain stopped, with the exception of a little intermittent drizzle uh, for our team to set up their tents and, and get everything ready. The event began, and, and I don't know if it rained a drop while cars made the trip around our church campus. And, and towards the end of the event, I, I managed to make my way strategically to the food tent, uh, which was right over here. Our youth and college ministry was providing uh, some food as people were leaving. And, and as the last car left with the last empanada from the very last tent, the skies opened up. It was unbelievable in timing. And we got a little bit wet cleaning up, but it was really perfect. And whether you were here or not, did you notice that it seemed to rain exceptionally hard last night? The drops were ferocious. I, I read an article in Sun Sentinel this, this past July that, that talked about that phenomena a little bit, and it has to do with, with tropical storm systems. The way that, that tropical storms form, the raindrops present themselves with with different characteristics than a raindrop that's formed in, an, in another storm cloud. And, and what happens is these droplets that form are actually much smaller. And so these smaller raindrops actually have more surface tension. And so as they come down, they come down with more force. The impact of these tiny droplets with more surface tension feels and is harder. So there's your fun fact for the week. Our text this morning comes from the Revised Common Lectionary as the Gospel reading. I invite you to turn in your Bible that you've brought from home or to open up the church app to the Gospel of Matthew. And you'll find it in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. And so the slave fell on his knee before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. 
But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our text this morning invites us to consider three things. First, that forgiveness is easy and comfortable to talk about until we have to do it. Second, that there are real consequences for not forgiving. And that the kingdom of God is antithetical to common culture. I believe our texts invites us to consider three things. First, that forgiveness is, forgiveness is easy and comfortable to talk about until we have to do it. That there are real consequences for not forgiving and that the kingdom of God is antithetical to common culture. First, forgiveness is easy and comfortable to talk about until we have to do it. You know, this parable in many ways presents as, as very straightforward uh, in contrast to many of Jesus' parables. Uh, we have a king or a ruler that wishes to settle his accounts, and, and he finds that one of his slaves or servants, um, likely an administrator, to be honest with you, in, in this culture, the word for slave would have been used synonymously with respect to those who worked for the ruler, for the despot, for the king. And this person owed the king a, a huge sum of money. It, it says here 10,000 talents. Now, now, one talent would have been equivalent to approximately 15 to 20 years worth of wages. One talent. So, for comparison, the U.S. Census Bureau listed that the average American yearly income in 2018 was just over $33,000. So, if you multiply that by 15 and then again by 10,000, you arrive at just a shade under Five billion dollars. He owed him a lot. The point is, the debt was big. Now, the king initially orders the man to be sold along with his wife and children and possessions to pay the debt, and the, and the man begs for mercy. And he does it saying this He says, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And he's forgiven. And then on his way out, this same man runs into another subject of the king, uh, someone who owes him a hundred denarii. Now, for comparison here, one denarii was, was worth about a, a day's wages for a laborer. And so he owed about a hundred days of wages, less than one-third of one year of work or one talent. The point being, it was much, much much less than the debt 
the other one had owed. And so this, this servant here, he begs for mercy. He begs for mercy, saying, not coincidentally, virtually the same thing. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And yet this man is thrown in jail. And on the surface, on the surface here, this seems like an easy example to follow. Forgive. On the surface, I believe we get it. We're supposed to forgive. And yet I don't think we have to go very far to find examples in our own lives where we fail miserably. Just this past Friday was the 19th anniversary of the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, a a day uh, where there were nearly 3,000 deaths, uh, not just a national, national tragedy, a global tragedy. What does it mean to forgive in the context of, of evil like that? What does forgiveness look like when we're faced with malice of, of this caliber? You know, I think even raising the notion of forgiveness here in so, certain circles uh, leads to suspicion. What do you, what do you mean, forgive? And, and, and I want to be clear that forgiveness and, and allowing repeated destructive behaviors are not the same thing. And, and that applies whether we're talking about a terrorist attack or an abusive relationship. Forgiveness does not mean allowing toxic behavior to continue. So what does forgiveness look like? One of the consequences of the September 11th attacks has been a growing, continued growing, distrust of Muslim Americans, referred to as Islamophobia, right? And it's the same um, sort of thing that that happened uh, during World War II after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. More than 100,000 Japanese Americans or Americans of Japanese descent were put into internment camps, right? And, And it's based on cynicism. It's based on this, this change in understanding of the other. It's, it's based on distrust. And it's actually this reaction that we have. Our brains instinctively tell us to distrust a person when we have an experience like this. It's, it's an evolutionary response, right? It's, it's, it's done in terms, in, in order to keep us safe, right? That distrust prevents us from falling, falling into the same situation again. But in the long term, in the long term, this type of cynicism is, is questionable at best and incredibly damaging at worst. A study published by the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding showed that those with Islamophobic views were least likely to know a Muslim person. Hear that again, that, that those who were most likely to be Islamophobic were also least likely to know a Muslim person. It's interesting, right? 
Are you uncomfortable yet? It is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable to have these kinds of conversations, but, but they're conversations that are worth having because not forgiving has real life, communal, spiritual, and physical consequences for us as God's people. Vincent Donovan was a priest who spent 17 years in Tanzania ministering to the Maasai people in East Africa. And and he writes of this extraordinary custom among the Maasai people when a sin occurred, not between individuals, but between groups of people in the same community. Uh, Perhaps one family might offend the other family. Um, And and, and among a, a nomadic people like the Maasai, a rift like this could be disastrous in their community. Uh, It it could stop the functioning, prevent the functioning of the whole community. And so if at all possible, for the good of the whole, both the offending and offended families had to be brought back together. And so he writes, at the behest of the total community, both families prepared food. They prepared food for this occasion, which was called Enda Sinyati. Translated as, as food that has been set apart, or holy food, enda, sinyati. And this holy food would be brought to the center of the village by the two families, accompanied by the rest of the community. The rest of the community would encourage both of these families along the way as they traveled to the point where they would meet. And they would, they would meet in the center of the village and the holy food would be exchanged by both families. And when it was eaten, they believed that forgiveness came. They would say that they'd established a new covenant between the families. Friends, forgiveness Forgiveness is essential, not only as individuals, but to the health of a community. And it takes the work of of the whole body, not just those members involved. It's, It's encouraging them to get there, to the place where we exchange that holy food of forgiveness. Friends, when will we begin to encourage each other? to make holy food, to bring health and forgiveness into our communities right here in Fort Lauderdale. And not only are there deep spiritual and communal implications, there are physical consequences. This this is fascinating. A recent study published by the American Journal of Neurology indicated that cynicism or a cynical view of people in the world can actually lead to an increased development of dementia later in life. Hear that. That, that a, a chronic cynicism or a cynical view of people in the world actually can lead to increased development of dementia later in life. There, there are physical uh, consequences. Forgiveness invites us to break the chains of chronic cynicism. It, it invites us to kick out those thoughts which burden us, those, those poisonous thoughts. Forgiveness invites us to put the burden down. Mike McCargue, um, much like C.S. Lewis, was a Christian turned atheist and then turned Christian. And, and he's a, a writer and, and speaker. 
And, and, and he speaks and writes often on the integration of scientific and theological topics. And, and, and in talking about this idea of forgiveness, he says that forgiveness is you kicking people out of your head whom you are offering free rent. Forgiveness is kicking people out of your head who you are offering free rent. Friends, forgiveness offers freedom to the forgiven and perhaps more importantly to the forgiver. And how is that? How is it that we're wired that way? Friends, I believe it's because the kingdom of God is antithetical to common culture. That, that discomfort we feel as we have these kinds of conversations, that, that squirmy feeling, that I hope he doesn't bring that up feeling, I believe it's evidence that we're on the right track. I'll show you what I mean. We've got to go way back to the beginning. When we look at the book of Genesis and, and we read this story of creation, we read this story of how we got here. You see, in, in Genesis chapter 1, we, we learn these rich and deep truths about who God has created us to be and, and what this world was created for. In that first chapter, we read six times, God saw that it was good. As God moves through the dance of creation, God reveals his intention for this creation is that it is good. And then we move on from Genesis 1 and we read the story of, of Adam and Eve. We read the story of us this story of a people who want to eat from whatever tree they want to eat from, right? Who want to be their own masters, who want to be their own lords, who want to live the way they want to live. When I read that, it sure sounds familiar to me. And then as we read further, we encounter Cain and Abel, the story of two brothers, the story of one who wants what the other has, turned into a story of jealousy, it turns into a story of murder. But then there's this really unique, sort of hidden story that comes right after that, you know, that we don't really read in, uh, in Sunday school. And, and it's the lineage of Cain. And, and, and we read about the sons and daughters that, that follow until we get to this, this man named Lamech. And in chapter 4, verses uh, 22 and 23 and 24, there is this prose, which has come to be referred to as Lamech's song. 
Hear this. At verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly, Lamech, seventy-sevenfold. We, we read this story of the world. It's this, this beating of the chest. If Cain, who was our great-great-great-great-grandfather, if, if he was going to be avenged seven times for anything wrong done to him, then, then me, it'll be 77 times if you mess with me. And isn't that often the way of the world? It's this temptation to return this for that, to give it back harder than it was given. And then there's this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Jesus takes this seven and 77 and he turns it on its head, saying that the kingdom of God is antithetical to what you've come to understand about how the world works. As Walter Brueggemann puts it, Jesus embodies the inversion of the world. Peter asks, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Friends, we do live in a world that would seek to divide us into tiny, individual units with impervious, hard exteriors like the tiny raindrops of a tropical storm. And Jesus Christ invites us to shed those exteriors Jesus invites us into community. Jesus invites us into a kingdom where forgiveness reigns. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.